0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The FT.
1: On the show this week, Obama and the U.S. debt limit. A deal is struck to avoid default at the 11th hour.
2: Congress has now approved a compromise to reduce the deficit and avert a default that would have devastated our economy. In
1: Greece, we ask, is the second bailout package enough to stem contagion across the eurozone? The premise
2: for all of this has been that Greece is capable of actually servicing this if it just gets the time to refinance gradually. If that premise is wrong, then this is not enough at all. And Indonesia's growth trajectory attracts foreign investment.
3: Indonesia is once again attracting foreign companies who have been ramping up their investments here. The economy is growing at one of the fastest rates of any countries in Asia at the moment. GDP is expanding at more than 6% this year, and it's been increasing steadily uh, over the past few years.
1: You're listening to World Weekly with me, Rob Minto. We start this week with Obama and the US debt ceiling.
3: Congress has now approved a
2: compromise to reduce the deficit and avert a default that would have devastated our economy. It was a long and contentious debate, and I want to thank the American people for keeping up the pressure on their elected officials to put politics aside and work together for the good of the country. And since you can't close the deficit with just spending cuts, we'll need a balanced approach where everything's on the table.
1: So joining me in the studio is FT commentator James Crabtree. James, before we get on to what Obama means by everything on the table or what he might mean by it, could you just give us a brief
4: overview of of what's actually happened, what's been agreed in this debt deal? It's effectively a deal in two halves. They've agreed about a trillion dollars worth of spending cuts now, most of which will come from what's called discretionary spending, but a large chunk of which will come out of the defense budget, which has left the Pentagon uh, not terribly happy. Uh, and then because they are unable to come up with further savings, uh, what they've done is created a committee, which will then supposedly agree a further about a trillion and a half dollars in cuts at some unspecified future date. So when you add all that together, you get about two and a half trillion dollars, which is more than people expected. But there are a lot of wrinkles to be worked out in how the deal is actually going to work. So who do you think has won out of this deal at the moment? Lots of people
1: are seeming to suggest that the Republicans are happier. Is that your take on it?
4: Yes, I think so. President Obama has found himself in a very difficult position where at least a minority of the Republicans appear genuinely willing to contemplate a default rather than sign up to a deal, particularly one which involved raising taxes. And so this is a deal that involves no tax raises and two and a half trillion dollars of spending cuts. Most people, most economists thought that a balanced approach would have been better. What's interesting, however, is when you look at the finer detail, you see that what appears to be a big number actually has a lot of questions that what actually will be cut, even in the first part of the deal, the $1 is not at all clear. What Congress has done is legislated a cap and said, well, we're not going to spend any more money than this, but where actually they're going to cut, they haven't made any agreement. So out of this deal, there isn't a single pensioner who's so far knowing that they're going to get less money or a single school it's not going to get any more funds. And so there's a huge battle that is still to come in terms of what actually is going to make up these cuts. So what does that mean for this on the
1: table? Obviously, there was talk of this trigger where the unpalatable cuts of Medicare for the Democrats or defence for the Republicans. What else is on this sort of yes, well, that, very that, large that, table?
4: That's the second part of the deal. So if the committee doesn't come up with recommendations that they can all agree to, then there supposedly is an automatic cut of which half of it comes from the defence budget. Now, the idea there is that the Republicans are so pro-defence that so they won't countenance that. However, I think that has to at least be doubtful. I mean, the way the Republicans negotiated this deal suggests that it's perfectly plausible that they could take an approach where they will you know, accept any spending cuts and that you may end up in a situation with cuts in entitlement programmes and defence. More likely, you'll just get another huge rat. In about three or four months' time. And how does this look for
1: President Obama at the moment? There was, a, I think, a Pew Research poll that says, suggesting that around 72% of people didn't like it on either side of the divide. Where does this leave the president?
4: I think the deal is much better than a default, in which case that would have been a disaster. So in that sense, it's positive. I think he looks relatively weak, because he did have to back down, he didn't get what he wanted. However, in the broader scheme of things, what really matters for his re-election prospects is the state of the economy. And actually, the story that's come out of this week, is that the American economy is much worse than everybody had even the gloomy forecast of how bad it was that the figures that came out at the end of last week are disastrous. And the amount that the economy has failed to grow relative to what it ought to have expected is more than the amount that they claim they're going to save in these two deals. And so while the debt deal probably not great for Obama, much more worrying is the fact that if the economy doesn't perk up, he faces a real t- chance of losing the next presidential election.
1: Well, it'll be seconds out round, whatever, three, four, five, and, and to the end. James, thank you very much indeed. Keeping on the theme of debt but moving to Europe, and more specifically Greece, the country had a second bailout package, agreed last week. Since then, markets' attention has already moved on to Italy, where President Berlusconi has tried to douse the ideas of debt contagion. Earlier, Gideon Rackman asked the FT's economic leader writer, Martin Sambu, about what he thought of the proposed Greek
2: package and also the prospects for contagion. I feel there's an element in this of the politicians certainly having come to some political agreement that wasn't there before. They did break some kind of political deadlock and move on. So there's certainly progress. But I think they might have underestimated, first of all, how much detail still has to be agreed on and how significant that detail is. To give one example, a big point here was that the private sector should have to contribute to tiding Greece over, basically by holding on to its exposure to Greece. And so there is a menu of options for banks and insurance companies that have invested in, in Greek government bonds. But it's still very unclear how many will take it up.
0: It's not even clear the IMF will pony up its share of the bailout
2: that's also true. The IMF has stricter rules on when they can advance money to lend to borrowing countries. And you see especially the non European members, the emerging market members of the IMF, are worried about the IMF's exposure. And the lack of detail is a big part of that. So this is kind of coming out, still not quite agreed. And I think there's a lot of nervousness about whether it really will limit or eventually reduce the IMF's exposure or whether this is just never ending.
0: And even if all the details are tidied up, the package still only reduces Greece's debt-to-GDP ratio to something which is still pretty alarming a – maybe 120% if it really works. And it's not clear Greece will be able to cope even with that level of debt. It's
2: true. It seems like the reduction that might be had from the private sector is on the order of 20-something percentage points of GDP. I mean, I think it's even higher than, than what you say. But you have to remember that the premise for all of this has been that Greece is capable of actually servicing this if it just gets the time to refinance gradually. If you buy that premise then it does help significantly that you get the maturity extensions, even if the overall face value doesn't fall that much. It gives you more time to gradually, well, first of all, just service the debt level you have and maybe gradually reduce it. But if you're willing to be in the game for 30 years, you can do that. Everything the European leaders have said is that they do want to do that. They just haven't always been able to follow that commitment up with action. They're starting to do it a bit now. Now, if that premise is wrong and you think it's just impossible politically for Greece to run the sort of primary surpluses, continuing transfers from Greece to foreign creditors for any length of time, then you're right. Then this is not not enough
0: at all. Last two big questions looming over the debate. First, do you think this is actually in the end going to end up in some sort of, as they call hard default, with Greece just saying, sorry, we can't pay this? And second question, contagion do you think they've done enough to stop the euro crisis from spreading to big countries like Spain and Italy?
2: Well, restructuring, I think, it's in the hands of the eurozone to decide this, really, because, well, the markets are still unwilling to open up their doors to, to Greece again. And until they do, then it's up to the official partners, the eurozone and the IMF, to either keep hiding Greece over or say, well, that's it, and on that day, Greece will have to default in a strong sense. A hard restructuring. They say, we're not paying back. We can give you this much, but not everything. But if the eurozone wants to, provided contagion doesn't get too bad, and we'll get to that in a second, they could keep tidying Greece over for a long time. And the challenge really is to try to find ways of doing that that encourage the markets to open up again. And on that, they've done a very poor job. The new package does it goes a little bit in that way, but they really should be making an effort to give private sector investors an incentive to come back in and
0: actually start to lend to Greece again. And question two, I mean, we came perilously close to the sense that, oh, my God, this has spread to Italy. Mm. And at which yeah. point it really it becomes very hard to envisage a European bailout. Do you think they've now built a, a wall between Italy, Spain and Greece or not?
2: I wouldn't call it a wall. I think they've bought a little bit of time. I mean, Italian yields are still higher, you know, a little bit too high for comfort. At the same time, they never went as high as getting really into crisis territory. So the, this was a little bit sort of a, a wave from the, from the Greek neighbor that didn't quite get over the, the walls, if you like, but is going to come back at some point, I think. Uh, so I think they have a window of time now in which they can raise the buffer. One thing that they haven't done, which they really should do, is to increase the size of the EFSF, the European Financial Stability Facility, which is the big fund by which they do back the countries that get into refinancing troubles. That was one big mistake in the last package, that they did not increase that, which means that markets will see if there's a new panic, that fund will very quickly be overwhelmed, and then there's nothing to stop people from basically running on Italy as well.
1: That was Martin Sandbu talking to Gideon Rackman. And finally for today, Indonesia. The country's growth trajectory is attracting foreign investors in droves, but there are still major barriers preventing it from realising its full economic potential. Anthony Deutsch, the FT's Indonesia correspondent, spoke to Serena Tarling about why Indonesia is doing so well and how a new land reform law could hold the key to one of Indonesia's biggest challenges, improving its dire infrastructure.
3: Indonesia is once again attracting foreign companies who have been ramping up their investments here. The economy is growing at one of the fastest rates of any countries in Asia at the moment. GDP is expanding at more than 6% this year, and it's been increasing steadily uh, over the past few years There are several factors that are playing into this. A large portion of Indonesia's growth is domestic, and that has shielded it from a lot of the volatility we've seen in world markets in the past year or two. Now, Indonesia's population of 240 million is the third largest in Asia, and Indonesian consumers are spending more than ever before, and that is driving company growth, and that's also driving earnings growth. So, Indonesian companies have been booking profits of 20 30% in the first half of this year. That, of course, is quite remarkable if you look at what's going on to a lot of the developed economies.
2: Could it be Indonesia rather than India that sees double digit growth first?
3: Well, we're not expecting GDP to hit double digit growth anytime soon because. There are a lot of bottlenecks, uh, particularly Indonesia's infrastructure is seen as one of the main problems. While the economy is growing, uh, investment in infrastructure is not keeping pace. So you see that a lot of the airports, the ports, roads, and the other types of basic services that companies need to grow or that the industry needs to grow are not expanding as rapidly. Now, that is seen to be a major hindrance to, to quickening growth, and reaching anywhere near double digits. Other problems that you'll frequently hear about are legal uncertainties, so companies that are are not sure that they'll be able to enforce contracts. There's also a big problem of corruption that's still a big source of of worry, particularly in in a lot of the government institutions. Companies are not able to make very long-term plans because they're not sure of where they stand in terms of legal contracts.
2: Indonesia is about to pass a land acquisition law. How will this change things?
3: Well, the land acquisition law is the most closely followed piece of legislation in the country. It's considered key for the government to push through a lot of the the infrastructure that is needed to give the economy a boost. So a major hurdle to, to building a lot of this infrastructure, and you have to think of things like toll roads or or ports or airport facilities, are being held up because that land is not freed up. So by introducing this, this land reform bill, which would set the amounts that the government would have to to compensate people, for example, for land use. And it would also give the government the authority to push through those infrastructure projects. If that were to happen, and government officials have been promising that it will happen by the end of this year, then you could actually see a significant boost in Indonesia's economic growth, and that could open doors for more investment both domestically and foreign. And that's when you have people talking about the possibility That within the next two to three years, Indonesia might start nearing growth comparable to that in India and China.
1: That was Anthony Deutsch talking to Serena Tarling. And that's it for this week. My many thanks to James Crabtree and Martin Sambu in the studio in London, and also to Anthony Deutsch in Jakarta. World Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.